You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Guys, I am so excited to share today's conversation with you. The chat I had with today's guest, who is truly iconic, was an absolute honor to sit down with the inspiring, empowering, and brilliant Ms. Erin Brockovich. Yes, that Erin Brockovich was truly a bucket list moment. Erin is not only the president of Brockovich Research and Consulting, where she writes wrongs every day on multiple fronts, but she is also a renowned consumer advocate and environmental activist, a public speaker, and the founder of the Erin Brockovich Foundation, a nonprofit created to educate and empower communities in their fight for clean water. Erin is often best known for spearheading the successful case against the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, PG&E, as living proof that an ordinary person can truly change the world, Erin's efforts in the PG&E case not only resulted in the largest settlement ever paid in a direct action lawsuit in U.S. history, but also inspired the Oscar-winning 2000 film starring Julia Roberts, titled Erin Brockovich. Following the film's success, Erin used her newfound notoriety to spread positive messages and encourage others to make a difference through a variety of media, including TV, film, and publishing. A true crusader for both the environment and public health and safety, Erin actively participates in exposing injustices and empowering the people by traveling the world and lending her voice to those who do not have one, as she remains one of the most requested speakers on the international lecture circuit. Most recently, Erin published her second book, Superman's Not Coming, and is working on an ABC drama based on her life. 
In my conversation with Erin today, we discuss the numerous environmental projects she's involved in, her iconic PG&E case, the current global water crisis, including water pollution, water scarcity, water policy here in the U.S., and why there is such an urgent need for citizens everywhere to get involved in the fight for safe water. And as always, so much more. Enjoy. Erin, I could not be more excited to have you here today. I I woke up with butterflies this morning and I was on the phone with one of my best friends and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I realized that in the way that, you know, my parents will tell you that I've always been a little bit of a rebel, a fighter since I was a kid, when I when I watched the film that was made about your California story, I, I really now in hindsight realized that it was part of what taught me to be the kind of activist that I am today, where, where I was like, no, you just, you knock until you break the door down. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that so many people who are inspired to fight have been inspired by your story and your gumption. And I thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I was really looking forward to it. Very anxious and excited to meet you. It's, you know, it's exciting. It's so I'm really cool. glad to be here. It's pretty cool. So, Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I just am thrilled. Now, I, I, I mentioned it and, and I imagine it must have been kind of a trip to be doing the work that you were doing, you know, fighting on this massive environmental case. And after that succeeded you know, there was a $333 million settlement with the victims affected um, by this chemical company dumping waste and and the contamination of water. And, you know, you go about your life and then this movie gets made. And not just any movie, but a movie in which Julia Roberts plays you yeah. and then wins an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> how How crazy of an experience was that for you? Uh, very crazy, um, very overwhelming. Uh, I'm still, I think, 20 years later, kind of wrapping my mind around all of it. You're like, is it a fluke? I mean, how does this happen? Are you in the right place at the right time? I mean, because I never set out for any of this to happen. And who would? Who would get involved in doing anything and stop and think someone's going to make a movie about it and Julie Roberts, you know? <laughs> right. So they're like, <laughs> you know okay, woo-woo, you're out there. I I still think I'm putting it all together. I have a greater understanding of it now than I did then. Mm. I wish I had a solid understanding of it then because I feel like I missed out on so much in so many mm. moments. Like the the night that the film came out, I mean, I can barely even recall it because I wasn't prepared. Uh, who could be prepared? I've never been on a red carpet uh, I certainly wasn't the actress. Uh, I'd never been on TV. Frankly, I don't like my picture taken. The the commotion, it was so overwhelming. I literally was shaking so hard. My knees were knocking together. Uh-huh. And Universal was great at being with me and saying, we need to get you to calm down or we're going to have to send you home. <laughs> <laughs> and, um I miss so much. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that I ever really saw the film. It isn't about me. It was about all of us. It was about 
pollution. I mean, I was going through a cycle of, you know, is this a one-off? Oh, my gosh, I've come to find out it's the entire United States of America. Mm. Don't let the the commotion, the hype, the startism stuff get into my head. Mm-hmm. I felt that would be the worst place for me to go. Mm. So it was exciting, overwhelming. It's still really weird. You know, I always have a running joke. Hi, my name is Aaron Brockovich, not Julia Roberts. <laughs> it's funny how much confusion it's created even to this day. Even mm. today, like a week ago, going through TSA, they look at me and they go, oh my gosh, Aaron Brockovich, I love every movie you've been in. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, and they're they're legitimate. It's that has been strange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wake up and pinch myself. Is this real? What is, it's just, it's just strange. And I mean, what I don't think ever was that 20 years into the future, we'd still be talking about it. About pollution. About pollution, about mm-hmm. the film, that the mm-hmm. film would be, that it would resonate with everyone like mm-hmm. that. And I believe it resonated with everyone because everybody walked away from the film going, you know what? That could be me. Yes. Maybe that is me. I think it resonated with everyone understanding a struggle of life or up against a force that had to find the courage to come out and stand up. I think it resonated with single parents and out there working and Mm -hmm. taking care of a family. and, And all of those angst that did come out was relatable. And we are all that person. Uh, We really are. And I never dreamed that I would be sitting here today talking to you about this. You know, I started when I was 30. How long it's been. I do turn 60 in June. My kids are grown and gone. So with those little babies I had, I now have grandbabies. So all of that is something that I think I often look at. And in a way, it makes me so humble because I'm now got a strong enough idea around it that I'm not just looking back or anticipating tomorrow. I'm really looking at, oh my gosh, I'm having this moment with you. Mm. And I'm having this moment with my family or my work and to be present Mm -hmm. and not take so much for granted. And Mm -hmm. somehow that film and all of these years has really helped me take a look at, don't get lost here. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about that. I may never see tomorrow, but to to take this moment and observe and listen and be compassionate and reach a hand out and find that voice to go, hey, what's happening here? What's going on? When you talk about that, the one of the things I hear that really stands out to me is you talking about compassionate listening. And yeah. I think about the story and, and the movie told us your story and, you know, I can, in doing all my prep work, I can read your, you know, your bio and your story online. And, and you, you had a claim with the legal attorneys who you wound up working for because the mm-hmm. claim they settled for you was horrible. And you oh, said, that was trial in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. yeah. And, and you said, you've got to give me a job so I can earn a living because my settlement's a joke and it's your fault, essentially. Well, yeah, because, you know, I don't, I don't like being misled. Yes. <laughs> and it irritated me. I'm short-tempered, I guess, that way. But Or you're just allergic to bullshit, which I admire. Uh, right? Aren't a lot of us, though? <laughs> I had that situation happen to me just yesterday. It's a long story. I won't go into it. I'm like, but don't BS me. Yeah. 
You know, just don't mm. dance around it or, you know, just just say it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why we can't do that. And when we, as a person like myself that can be directed, my daughter is even worse than me, we can be offended by it. I think it's timing and it's tactfulness. Mm-hmm. It's a whole host of things. But, uh, yeah, I needed a job. And you honestly told me it was going to be okay. See, I deal well in reality. Mm-hmm. So give me that worst case scenario. Look, kid, we may not win this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I can prepare. If it's worst case scenario, what's plan B? I don't, I don't like to be in a box. Right. So I need my plans. How I get out. <laughs> right. And so yeah, I was really frustrated at that moment, and I needed a job. And so you wound up working for these lawyers, mm-hmm. Ed Masry, and and you wound up at Ed's office coming across all this paperwork about these people who were suffering from cancer. And and that's where this took off. And I, I think about now, bird's eye view, about you stumbling into your calling in a way. You know, I did. Now as this activist and this author and this person who's fighting around the globe, how do you think that beginning to work on that case taught you to listen the way that you do now? Well, it definitely comes from my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it then. I started to learn more about it at that moment, mm-hmm. where this behavior was coming from or where a, a visual skill and listening skills was coming from. And I, I'm a dyslexic. So in school, I knew I can read, but I knew I was comprehending differently. And I knew mm-hmm. that, and my teachers knew that by the way I did my test. But I visually could see everything. Um, so I listened intently. Intently. And then I wouldn't forget what you said. Mm. And that's really the beginning of it for me is as because I had a learning disability. Um, mm. And I was teased. And I knew I knew, but I wasn't going to fight the system that way. I was going to figure out a way around it. And I started listening intently. It, my mom used to say, you can't beat her at a game of concentration under no circumstances. You cannot. Mm-hmm. Because I photograph in my mind and then I store it. So I, dyslexics have a different way of coding and a different way of learning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that consciously I was aware of that. I don't know that I was consciously even aware that that's what I was doing in Hinkley that was uncovering things. Mm-hmm. By way of example, one of the first documents I read made no sense to me. And I think even this is part of studies and how they're written today and how we interpret them even today. It was dated 1992 and it stated 5 ppm of hex chrome was still in the monitoring wells. Well, I had already learned from experts that 5 ppm hex chrome at any level is declared legal hazardous waste. So that number stuck out for me. I'm like, God, that's still a lot. And it's 1992. Mm. And then the next two sentences said 90% of the chromate had already been removed via drinking water and agricultural use. And I went, huh. So if it's 5 ppm in 1992 and 90% is gone, what was it in 82 mm-hmm. and 72 mm-hmm. and 62 when this community was thriving? Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I set off to find that information. So I went backwards, right? not forward. And I found the documents, the actual 
amount of hexavalent chromium hitting that aquifer was 58 ppm. See, now that makes a difference in science. Mm -hmm. As a larger number that can be more readily correlated to the health effects that the people were seeing. And so it's my dyslexia that kind of gives me that set of skills that is who I am, mm -hmm. but it doesn't fit the standard of conformance, right? especially in our educational system. What was it like to grow up in the education system when you did? What, what was your experience in school? And, and, and how did your parents handle that? Did they, did they support you? Did they understand what was going on? My parents saved me and a school teacher saved me. I mm -hmm. learned to become the class clown, you know, and be well liked to cover for my discrepancy of not being, you know, an A student. Mm -hmm. I struggled to be a D plus student. And, you know, I, I, I see so many, uh, when I went to Hinckley, see, I saw in them what happened to me that because they were different or they dare do something different, there's this whole suppression and judgment and mm. labeling that you're this or that or what you see isn't real. Nothing sends me sideways more than someone trying to convince me. The minute you do that, mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you up to? Oh, yeah. The minute you want to convince me that what I read what I'm seeing, mm -hmm. what I'm hearing isn't real. And that's what was happening to them because the companies were telling them, oh, the green water, that's a standard. That's normal. So see, they actually at some point started thinking, okay, well, I don't want to question this because then they're going to tell me I'm stupid or what's wrong with you or nothing's wrong with your water. Mm -hmm. It's a mineral. So we drank it. And they were already experiencing what I had already experienced. And so there was this moment together that we could kind of start blowing stuff open. And it, it takes support. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be the person to stand out first and then hear all of the, you know, judgment and labels and gaslighting and suppression and all of this stuff has actually been going on for a really, 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 really long time. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it pushes us back and we're uncertain how to go forward. So because of how I grew up, because of my mom and my dad, I understood I didn't have the scientific knowledge to be figuring out what was happening, but I had a lot of common sense. And I went with my gut, mm -hmm. and they started to go with their gut. And so when that PhD from PG&E standing there and said, green water and two-headed frogs are normal, I was like, Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. And so we went with that. And uh, people, we don't really teach common sense. I think we've moved away from common sense. We like to label it as, you know, where's your logic? Well, if you use your common sense, you logically do the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in Kansas, we, in the summer, tornadoes, it, it, never, <laughs> it never dawned on me when the sky turned green and I could have that physical sense. If, you, if you're connected to the environment, you know something's wrong. You may not be able to be certain what it is, mm -hmm. but you know something's wrong. And I always went with that. And sure enough, tornado sirens would go off. I never called the Weather Channel to find out if it was an F2 or 5. Who cares? Right. I was in danger and I needed to get to safety. 
And these are the arguments we have in these environmental cases that really send me sideways as Mm -hmm. well as the community members. If your municipality had rat poison in it, you understand what rat poison is, right? It's poison. So do you care if it's one part per billion or five? You don't, but we get into these arguments. And so I want people to get connected again. And 10 times out of 10, every side I'm on, Hinkley being the first, they're already connected. Mm-hmm. But what, they're, what they can't figure out is they need permission to go forward and be themselves and know what they are living in, drinking and breathing and experiencing is real mm-hmm. and not let the other side who doesn't want you to know what's going on convince you mm-hmm. to hush up, shut up, that you're not this, you're not that. You don't have this degree, therefore you shouldn't say anything. Hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. You take us away from being human. And it's so important because this idea that we argue the minutia of science, to your point, one or five parts per billion, poison is poison. Right. And I was so moved this week. I saw this incredible video of an elderly gentleman who pulled water from his farm, and he's living in a community where they're fracking around all the farms. And he brought water in mm-hmm. to a meeting with these executives. Mm-hmm. And he said, you all have gone on the record saying you would drink the water. And he, and he had it in a thermos so you couldn't see what it looked like. And he poured this water into three plastic cups, clear it's cups in black. front of them. I mean, dark, sludgy, brown water. Yep. And he said, here you go. I brought it for you. Would you drink it in front of us all right now? Would you drink it? And I just thought, there we go. And these are people who are telling this farmer, to your point, well, we've got scientists and the scientists say, and it's like, no, we know. Mm-hmm. We know what water's supposed to look like and we know how people are supposed to feel and we know that frogs are supposed to have one head. And, mm. and it's strange to me, this, this large systemic oppression that happens to people was- when the systems say, you don't know as well as we do. And it's like, well, you're being paid for, though, by the people making money off me getting sick. So why am I supposed to trust what you say you know? Well, absolutely. And it, you're 100% spot on. And that was a scene in the movie, by mm-hmm. the way. And that it's actually— probably inspired by you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the film. It actually happened in a court of law, though. Uh, mm-hmm. PG&E's experts said—this is in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I share a little story out of the book about PG&E's experts that filled a hot tub full of hexavalent chromium and sat in it. And they sat there drinking wine and smoking cigars, laughing and touting about how it can't harm you. And first of all, you're stupid for doing that. I'd like to know how your health and welfare is today. Second of all, you're making a mockery of somebody that for their entire life, for the first 18 years of their life, bathed in it and drank it. And Mm -hmm. it's a completely different long-term exposure pathway. Mm -hmm. And... Let's see. What I was what is go back to the question you asked me because I'm losing my train of thought and I don't want to go off on some you know tangent. We were talking about the guy with the water. So yeah. in Hinkley uh, during the case, we actually mixed a glass hexavalent chromium for that expert that sat in the hot tub. Wow! And we asked him to drink it, and he wouldn't. He said, "Because I don't know what's in it." But mm-hmm. here's the point: they didn't know what was in their water either. Yeah. And you were telling them it's safe to drink. Mm-hmm. So now you take that same risk. You don't know what's in that water. Drink it. Drink it. Mm. Or don't tell us it's safe to drink. And I get into arguments with science about this all the time. And they say, well, you don't have the data, Aaron. And here's the thing. You're right. I don't have all the data. And I'm very happy to mention that. 
But what you won't mention is you don't have all the data either. So how can you say to us that it is safe? And at the end of the day, our planet and us as humans on it, we didn't evolve to process chemicals. Oh, no. Our bodies are not made to be filled with chemicals. And what we see everywhere, whether it's chemicals used in agriculture, chemicals Mm -hmm. used in chemical plants, Mm -hmm. steel mills, all of these places that are dumping into our water system, Mm -hmm. more and more people have cancer, more and more people have Alzheimer's, more and more people have, I I mean, the rates of infertility going up among Mm -hmm. both men and women. Autism, lupus, uh, so many autoimmune Mm -hmm. diseases, and it isn't just cancer. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we don't, why we're so connected from the environment. It's without going into the story again, you know, I'm fascinated with The Wizard of Oz and the book, The Wizard of Oz Mm -hmm. and why L. Frank Baum wrote it. There's a whole political allegory to it. We could talk about that, but I'm going to jump right into when they were following the Yellow Brick Road and Mm -hmm. the Wicked Wish suppressed them. That's industry doesn't want you to know. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where we've been. And I think we're waking up just like they did. And mm-hmm. 2020 is that moment. I'm more excited and inspired now than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years really? ago, or 20 years ago. Why is that? Because it's now affecting everyone. It's one thing when you're in a movie theater and you see Hinkley and you think that could be me, but you hope it'll never be me, that, look, shit rolls downhill. And that's exactly what's happened. And it's wow. now in everyone's yard. I can't... Think of one state in the United States where not multiple cities come to me with purple water, yellow water, green water, black water, sludge water. All these photos are in my book. I see it every single day from every single state, from every single mother, mm. from every single child with too much cancer. It, it's just there. And they're in a place now that this is where they live. This is what they drink. This is their Mm. land. They are being affected. They now own it. They now see it. And it's not just one of us speaking up. It's millions and millions and millions. It will be that collective voice uh, that we finally will shift into a new awakening and Mm. realize as we will wake up that suppression has existed for all of us. It's not new. And it's comfortability and it's complacency. I like disruption. I think we're living in a disruptive moment. And I think it is that disruption that is getting us to wake up and go, yo, what's going on over there? I'm sitting over here just resisting (laughs) from clapping because it would mess up the sound. But yes, just yes, I feel it. And And I'm a fan of disruption as well. Did you, because I want I want to keep going on this, but there's questions I love to ask people about their childhoods and I don't want to miss them with you. Did you love disruption as a kid too? Like, like because you walk in the door, you are a powerhouse, you are a voice, you are unintimidated, you are passionate. Were you this way when you were 10? Yeah. Mm. Oh, I like it. I wish I could have hung out with you as yeah. a little girl. <laughs> My siblings used to, why does Aaron get that or something? My mom's like, well, squeaky wheel gets the oil. Because (laughs) I'd see it and I didn't understand it. So Mm -hmm. I'd ask a question. If you didn't answer my question, I got more frustrated. Why are you not answering my question? So Mm -hmm. I would just stayed with it. Now, my mom is the one, uh, early on, I was already like this. In high school, I wasn't 
understanding why I was like it, this, but I was getting in trouble all the time because I was being disruptive. Mm. And I'd come home defeated. And my mom would always say, Aaron, where's your stick to And I, in all my lectures, I always say this word because it changed everything for me. Mm. Stick to is a real word. It's not some slang thing. It's definition, noun, propensity to follow through in a determined manner, dogged mm. persistence, born of obligation and stubbornness. And I never yes. forgot that. And I took that word as the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I know I can. I know I can. And when something's going on and it doesn't make sense, I stick with it. And I'm going to keep asking questions till I can keep digging and find out what's going on. And I realize the more questions I ask, the more I dig, the more disrupted I am, the more upset they're getting. What do you got going on over there? What are you and trying I to keep hide? going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, my dad is the one. I, I go, yeah, I get so emotional about my mom and my dad, and I've lost both of them, and I, mm-hmm. I miss them greatly. Uh, my dad was a engineer. He actually ran the pipelines for Texaco. Wow. And he taught me what was going on, what he saw, and that the most valuable gifts we have is our land, our air, mm-hmm. our water, and our right to good health. Mm-hmm. I never forgot it. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, I mean, even when I when I went out to Inkley, I'm like, oh my God. Everything my dad ever taught me is what's wrong here? Mm-hmm. The water's green. People are dying. Animals are covered in tumors. They're suffering. What's wrong? And then here comes my mom. Where's your stick to itiveness? And mm-hmm. all the memories of school in the box, stay there. And don't question anything. And I just started punching. I just started punching. It was guttural. Hmm. And oftentimes I didn't know. You were going to break that box. Mm -hmm. What I was doing or why I was doing it. But they were, here's the thing. I saw, well, I'm not alone in this feeling because they're not alone in this feeling because the same thing's happening to them. Yep. And we just don't always talk about it. But once we were able to understand the vulnerabilities and the flaws and accept that, but we could march on anyway. Hmm. We did. I love it. I fired up. <laughs> what you talk? You talk so beautifully about your family dynamic, and and I'm curious how how did you come up in your family? What did you want to be when you grew up? What were you, what were you interested in as a kid? I wanted to be a medical doctor. Hmm. Everyone told me I couldn't do it, and I'm telling you what, I'm good with numbers, and I could have done it, hmm. but because. Everyone else, you know, my mom taught me, Aaron, just because others see you as, you know, inferior, um, that just because you're different doesn't make you inferior. Mm -hmm. And just because they're choosing to see you that way isn't how you can choose to see yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's just super important. Um, I just, you know, I had one of my own kids just have a meltdown yesterday. And I said, you know, how you're going to get through this tumultuous time is your reaction to it Mm -hmm. and how it is you see yourself responding to it. And and I think that's so key. And I learned really early on that the obstacle in how I was going to get through the dyslexia or what I took in from my parents or how I was going to handle Hinkley or standing up for myself and saying I need that job is going to come from me. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
whether it's just innate or it's learned, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. And not everyone has that desire, but when you when you talk to them and listen to them and can communicate with them from a place of understanding, we always put a wall up because, I mean, my gosh, it's this society we live in is really hard. Walk this way, talk this way, look this way, be this way. Yeah. What car do you drive? How do you live? And if we don't see ourselves that way, then we just recoil. We retract. I, we feel bad about ourselves. We feel yeah. suppressed. We feel depressed. Um, a lot of things happens. And so I really want to get to the heart and soul of each individual is of how unique we are as individuals. And you don't have to be this or that to be a human, mm -hmm. to feel good about yourself. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard in Hinckley, you're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer. You're not a scientist. You're not a politician. What do you know? I'm like, I don't have to be any of that to be a human yeah. and to tell you people are suffering. Yeah. And, we, and it's on us to do something about it. Right. And I think the awakening is we've, we're all waking up to that, that suppression, that pushback. We've all felt it. We, mm -hmm. we, I think we all have so much more in common than not. And I think yeah. we have so, so many people think we don't have anything in common. Oh, yes, we do. Because yeah. when you strip us and get us right down to the, to the bones of it, it is this planet we're on. It is the air. It is the water. Without it, we do not survive. We all understand health. None of us want to lose our children. None of us want to die from cancer. It's a fear that exists in us. But when we could at least get real mm -hmm. and strip away that mask and be okay with the person that's behind it, yeah, we come a long, long way. When you talk about your experiences in Hinckley, that being your first you know, environmental case that you worked on, what was it like to not be taken seriously for you. As you mentioned, people say, you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not a scientist. And I know for me, when somebody tells me what I don't know and they have no idea what I do know and no what? idea how much research I do and no idea where I learn and no idea, it makes my blood boil. I'm like, really, you want to have a policy discussion with me? I'm going to mop the floor with you. Let's go, you know? <laughs> Game on, I love oh, it. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, really? This is going to yeah. be fun. How... How were you dealing with it then? Because at least now, to your point, we're in a we're in a moment in time where we are having conversations about our relative oppression, what we know, you know, my experience as a woman, you and I share that. Mm -hmm. My experience of oppression, I can't compare to the experience of the oppression of a person of color, but I understand what my oppression feels like and how much I hate it. So mm -hmm. I'm sure as shit gonna show up to fight their oppression. You know, we we are connected in ways now. And I think especially because of this digital landscape. We oh, absolutely. In, it's our revolution. Yeah. It's the media world. Yes. We didn't used to be connected that way. Right. It so, opened us up and we could see, oh, that is happening to you. Oh, yep. that is happening to you. And wow. I, I thought I was you. the only one. Yes. And I'm curious in that small town and in this in this experience that you were in then, you know, having to go and make photocopiers on Z photocopies on Xerox machines of documents. There's, you know, there's no scan it. There's no take a, an iPhone picture of it. And you're a young woman, a single mom who, who everyone wants to say what you aren't mm -hmm. in your face, but you're out there fighting anyway. What, what's your experience in, in that era like? Well, you know, I, I never re got child support. I never got any help from mm. the kids' fathers. Um, thank God for my mom and my dad. Mm. 
and they'd help where they could. But, you know, my dad always said, Aaron, you're going to have to get to work. You're going to mm-hmm. have to rise up. And so I've never been afraid to ask questions. Mm. I wasn't afraid to call someone and go, what the hell is this hexavalent chromium thing? I wasn't afraid to sit in a room like we're sitting here today with some plaintiffs and they'd ask me a question. And I'm like, well, hell, if I know, let's call the lawyers. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to tell you what I don't know. Right. And I'm very opening to learning and to asking questions. And I think that that was key. And at the time, I wasn't really asking the questions the way you and I are talking about it today with this mm. thought that it's an environmental issue. I was hella curious about the animals. Mm. I was curious. I'm like, the trees are dying. This place should be flourishing. Mm-hmm. The animals are covered in tumors. I think that's kind of odd. The people are sick. That makes no sense for mothers to make those stories up. Yeah. So I was coming from a place, what if this were my children? Mm. What if my child had a blood test result like the one that I was looking at with Roberta Walker that was easy enough for me to interpret because it was done on a, you know, a, a bar graft. So the white count is off the charts. Well, Usually a white count off the chart means there's a virus, uh, you're sick. Why is the white count high? I would be scared if that was my child. So I was operating from that place, Mm -hmm. relating with them mom to mom. I'd be scared too. Mm -hmm. So if in my spare time I could look something up that I could share with that mother that would help her know more, that was kind of the process that I was in. Mm -hmm. I was never in it knowing that any of this was going to happen. I was in it as a mom that would be terrified if this was my child and mm. I'd want to know why. And yeah. that's really where I was coming from. And then the deeper I got in it, the more I realized, okay, well, there is really something going on here. Mm-hmm. Let me take it upon myself, even though I don't have a PhD, to ask some questions about hexavalent chromium. Yeah. And then I did. And all I needed to hear was it's a poison. A, po- a poison is a poison is a poison all damn day long. Yeah. You drink a poison. And so I just came from those places. And I think it's so important. We are afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. We're afraid to be, you know, oh, in the dumb one in class. And I was always that person. Um, and if I didn't know, I asked. I, I don't know why we don't do that. And, mm. and I, I'm teaching that with my communities now. If you don't speak up, I, I, I don't know you're there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to help. And so a lot of it's personal accountability that I think we're starting to see, that we can ask those questions. We should speak up. We can take ownership of ourselves, our surroundings, and absolutely say, I think this is wrong. Mm -hmm. You never know where it will take you. So more often than not, I encourage people to say something. So that's where I was. Mm -hmm. I, I think this has been the hardest thing for me to answer since that film came out and even today how could you possibly find yourself here without that education, without that experience, without that knowledge? And that's the one thing that we've moved away from the most that's destroying us now. We've detached from ourselves yeah. and, and what we know instinctually and the connection we have and the priority and understanding 
and value of water and mm. land and health. That's it. Yeah. And I just can't get past that. And so when I do get around, you know, and I, I have to deal with arrogance all day long. And listen, we need science, but is it implores us to to question it yeah. at this point because see now it is us. And I learned this in the BP oil spill. Those fishermen knew more about where that oil was, mm-hmm. when it was going to come in, and what it was going to affect than any scientist that had been in school for 12 years. They lived it. They breathed it. Mm-hmm. They owned it. Yeah. They knew it. And they were rooted in it. And that's just where I was in Hinckley. That's just where they were. And that is precisely what's going on mm-hmm. in every community. And what I think has empowered them even more, and you brought it up, is this revolution of technology. So they, Facebook, I can't tell you how many times I've had a group of women come to me and say, oh my gosh, we love Facebook. Everybody after high school graduated and moved away. We've all found each other now, but isn't it odd? We all have the same cancer. So then they'll come to me. Wow. And then we start looking at, oh, wow, your school was built on a Kodak landfill. What's the connection? Wow. And so it has been the social media and the Facebooks and the technology where we can get information that's been concealed from us mm-hmm. faster than we've ever been able to get it before. So now we're connecting some dots mm. and now we're connecting to each other. Yeah. And now we're finding that empowerment again especially in the collective voice. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to be the first person to put their hand up in the room and be wrong, right? No. But I'm it's so scary. used to it, I am. <laughs> uh, I know. Oh, but I love that courage. I mean, we we do. We live in a world that one of the, I think, the downfalls of technology is that it looks like everybody's life is perfect but ours. And so everybody thinks, well, if I'm the one who's screwing up or the one who's falling behind, I don't want to tell anybody. And so we do keep quiet about a lot of the things that if we shared them could help us. And and I love that, that in the rooms that you're in, you encourage people to do that. Because the minute one person shares, everybody shares, and then everything changes. Absolutely. And we're taught that vulnerabilities are bad. I think it's your flaws and your vulnerabilities that you need to embrace yeah. that can be your greatest successes. I tell people, I don't know if I can cuss on these things, but I said, if you of really knew you how can. fucked up I was, you'd never show up to a lecture. <laughs> I mean, but I, I'm i flawed. We all are. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that's what makes us so beautiful, and I wish we'd stop mm-hmm. running away from it. Yeah. I, I, I get very emotional about that. Mm. I see my own children struggle with it, and I... I, I sometimes I'm like, I can't, I'm not reaching you. And they mm. have to learn themselves. But I'd rather really be flawed than just be this false solution yep. of something you're not. And I think that breaks us down more than anything. Yeah. It's okay. And so it's like my mom always said, you know, just because you're different doesn't mean you're inferior. Mm. And we like to everybody's different and we like to label somebody else who's different, you know, oh, well, therefore you're this or that. But you know, that really comes from our own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And I just think if we can own them and love them, (laughs) we might be a little better off. I like that. (laughs) In the space between the fight in Hinckley and 
the kind of advocacy that you do now, and I, and I want to get into that. Can you tell everybody listening, where did, where did your career go? What happened? Did you stay at the firm? What did you start working on? Because you got inside of one of the biggest legal cases of, of our lifetimes, and the legal expertise that you gained on the job is not to be questioned. And I'm curious, how did that open up a career path for you? Well, you know, it's interesting. Ed Masri used to always say, kids, someday you're going to be a keynote speaker. Um, it <laughs> came very easy to me. I liked being with the community. Um, we'd always have these community meetings. And, you know, there's a stage and Ed and everybody would sit up there. And, and Ed's constantly like, he goes, where's Aaron? And I'd be in the audience. And he asked me, he goes, what are you doing there? I said, I'm not going to sit up there with you. I'm going to sit out there with the people. We're the people. Uh, and that's, I'm, I, I, I just don't ever see why you have to sit up on a pedestal, Ed. You know, I could break out into Beatles songs. I am you, you or me, we are all <laughs> together. <laughs> so since then, I, I naturally went into um, more speaking when the film came out, not mm -hmm. before the film. I was terrified the first offer I had up in Canada with unique lives and experiences. And so I, I got a writer to help me. And he was like, how did you get here? And we'd talk about stick to We'd talk about yeah. dyslexia. We'd talk about moments of my frustration. I cry and he goes, that's what you talk about. Be you. Yes. And I didn't have to go because I immediately felt, oh, my God, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. And it's just be you. It's so hard to be you. Why yeah. should it be so hard to be who you are? I don't know. And it's just all these parameters around us. Walk this way. Talk this way. Be this way. Look this way. Blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. It's just the noises in your head. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so after that, uh, I was already working on the Kettleman case, which was exactly like Hinkley. That case took 10 years to settle. It settled for $335 million. And where is Kettleman? It is in the San Joaquin Valley out mm. by Kettleman City. Mm. So I was on to Pacific Gas and Electric from Hinkley, from the Kettleman situation to Topak, where all their gas compressor plants were, had big hexavalent chromium issues. So after Hinkley, I did the Kettleman case. I continued to do more and more speaking. Um, we did the whole Chromium 6 blue ribbon panel scandal, which is in my book. After the film came out, Governor Davis at the time set up a panel to create the first ever look at and possible maximum contaminant limits for hexavalent chromium in drinking water because there wasn't one. There were no limits on this chemical no, in California. There still isn't. And a 20-year fight... <sighs> That's another long story where the we're supposed to be following the public health goal. We yes. have about 88,000 chemicals hitting the marketplace. And we do everything ass backwards. The best way to explain it is PFOA, the Teflon. Uh, I did a, a documentary with Morgan Spurlock on The Devil We Know. Dark Waters just came out with Mark Ruffalo playing mm -hmm. the attorney Rob Beloit who took down DuPont after 20 years on the chemical PFOA, which we all know is Teflon. What we don't understand, we know, but the general public doesn't, but they're learning it, 
is, we've said for 10 years, it's going to be the largest emerging contaminant in our municipal water and aquifers today, and it is. And when I talk about the 88,000 chemicals hitting the marketplace, to understand what's happening, let me explain the PFOA. It was created by 3M, and it is 3,000 chemicals under one family group, PFCs. So you have like PFOA, which is the Teflon side of it. You have the PFOS, which is the firefighting foam side of it, which it is, and I mean, listen, this is not about panic. This is just a fact. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And so 3M notified the EPA some 25 years ago, this is a bad actor. Getting it out of the environment is nearly impossible. And keep your eye on it. So here's what EPA did. And again, without, this isn't, I can't express it enough, placing blame. Any of us could blame anybody for Mm -hmm. everything that's gone wrong, but where the hell is that going to get us? Right. Let's just talk about what it is. Where we are, how we're going to fix it. And how we're going to go forward. Mm -hmm. What's the solution to this? And so the EPA, and here's how the system operates. They were notified. So they said, we will set a guideline, not and maximum contaminant limit, which is by law, a guideline for this chemical, not knowing what it does or doesn't do in the environment at 400 parts per trillion. Where that number came from, I don't know, but that's what they picked. So now every municipality in this country, and there's over 80,000 of them, can run this chemical through their system up to 400 parts per trillion. Like through their drinking water. Absolutely. Up to 400 parts per trillion. So if it's 399 parts per trillion, you don't have to report it. Life goes on. Then the EPA commissions a study. Mm -hmm. So for every chemical in the marketplace, they have to commission a study to find out whether it does or doesn't cause cancer. Okay. That costs millions and millions and millions of dollars per chemical and takes 10, 15, 20 years to conclude. So we put the chemicals in our drinking water and then let people poison or not poison themselves for the next 20 years. And then we go, oops, we poisoned you or looks like we did okay. That's exactly what happens. Seems like a great way to do things. I'm obviously being sarcastic. Absolutely a great way to do things. That's why I said it is so ass backwards. Um, And so EPA does this study. Yeah. And about four years ago, science caught up with what I call policies. Mm -hmm. Houston, we have a problem. This chemical can cause up to 12 different cancers. So what does EPA do? Uh Uh-oh. We're going to have to drastically reduce this 400 parts per trillion to, let's uh, say, 70. Again, I don't know where they're getting their numbers from. So now they have to notify all the municipalities, you've got to lower your PFOAs to 70 parts per trillion. And they're like, what? We do not have the budget? We have no bond money? to put on the appropriate filtrations to keep this chemical out at that level. So the science keeps coming in and it's getting worse and science is getting hidden. And now states are going, wait a minute, we're going to drop it to 12. I think the CDC is going to come out and say it's going to be below five. Wow. So what happens on my end is now the municipalities have to notify all the consumers. Wow. Multiple cities in every single state in the United States of America is writing me, is this why my son has testicular cancer? Is this why I lost my daughter to the thyroid cancer? Is this and this? And literally my computers are about ready to crash. I'm like, oh my God, what are we 
thinking. Yeah. So the horse has left the barn. Yeah. Well, and it's odd to me that we'd be allowed to subject our citizenry to chemical exposure without knowing what those chemicals do. I don't understand why the baseline rule isn't no chemicals in our water. That That's what's crazy to me. And Common sense would tell you that, of right? Of course. Of course, but common sense would tell you that when there's a water crisis, we'd fix it. And, and I mean, you wrote, in 2016, you wrote about the lid getting blown off of Flint. And, and you said something in your article that I loved. You said, these issues don't see any boundaries of rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat. All kinds of people everywhere are being taken advantage of. There is this false sense of security that we've all been lulled into, and only now are people actually waking up to reality. An EPA official stated that, quote, Flint was not worth going out on a limb for, unquote. The fact that someone from a government agency could so flippantly refer to the welfare of the American people. Mm. And that was 2016. It's 2020. There's still brown water coming out of pipes in Flint. And to your point, municipalities and the government are saying, we don't have the money for this. We don't have the, the estimates in Flint are between 85 and $165 million to repair the city's water pipes, replace them, change the filtration systems. Yet the president of the United States can joke in, in under two seconds, I approved $3 trillion for the military. We have the money. Mm-hmm. But we're spending it ordering fighter planes we don't need instead of spending it on human beings in this country, their health and welfare, and and the preservation of our water supply. And and you said it. Without water, we're done. Mm-hmm. We're done. Yeah. And the fact that so much of our water is so full of chemicals like this, I, I just can't fathom that it's allowed. And we all for so many years have thought, well, someone's making rules about this, but Mm -hmm. nobody with any sense is making rules about this. So I wonder what, knowing everything that you know, and having done this work now for the last 30 years, what, what do you say to the people who are listening to this, who are mad as hell, who are as fired up as we are? How do average everyday Americans like everybody in this work in progress community, I call them my whip smarties because they're smart. Um, How do all these smart humans start getting active and start making noise in their communities to change this? Because Mm -hmm. if if we don't apply the public pressure, the elected officials are certainly never going to turn their backs on the corporations paying them handouts. They're not going to do it for us. So we have to make them. So what do we do about this? Well, it starts at a really very local level. Everything we've been talking about, again, in this awakening, is recognizing what that oppression, suppression, anything, that false illusion has been. Yeah. And grabbing our own voice and speaking up. Yeah. Oftentimes, and I've seen it happen over and over again. Again, what did I say? You know, we can't blame everybody for everything. It just gets us nowhere. So let's just not do that. Um, City council members oftentimes don't know what's going on. Because nobody in the community is coming in and telling them, hey, mm. what's going on? Perfect example, Carson City. And I, we've got so many situations. I mean, people don't even realize we're delivering bottled water to South LA and, and right underneath our nose because it's we're not drinkable. Are delivering bottled water to Carson right now? Not Carson, but another area in South LA. I mean, my gosh. The, wait till you see some of the pictures coming out of Gardena, California. It's as black as that coffee cup. 
And in Carson, Shell had a big tank farm and it leaked into the environment. And it was literally like, like Shell gasoline. Shell oil. Uh huh. Their big oil. tank farm. Yep. And all this crude was bubbling up in people's backyards. Oh my God. Full of benzene. Their kids were <gasps> sick. And everyone was telling them this fine, we'll clean it up. Don't worry about it. Da, da, da. But no one stopped to think. Has anyone been to city council to talk about this? So we get involved. A lawsuit gets involved. We go to a city council meeting and they said, okay, well, as meeting adjourned, there's no one here. And we said, well, wait a minute. We have a few people from Carson that would like to come talk to you. There was thousands of them that we bust in. Wow. And each one of them got to speak. And what they brought with them was a fake stuffed guinea pig because they felt like they were the guinea pig. Mm. And their children with cancers and illness wrote their stories out, and safety pinned them. There was a pile halfway to the ceiling in the middle of these council chambers. And I have to tell you, if they were acting, they would have, should have won an Oscar. <sighs> they had no idea that this was happening to the people because the people hadn't said anything to them. The next day mandatory, mandated, on it, cleanup orders. And I see this happening everywhere. And this, again, I'm not sure what the guideline is that we're supposed to have to run for office. And we think there, again, that's that box. And so we don't even therefore try. Hannibal, Missouri is another perfect example that we talk about. A group of mothers came to us. You know what? They had lead levels higher than Flint. Oh, my God. And let's talk, I'll get to that in a minute about the policies with Flint and how they've changed, but that's what we're going to have to get busy doing. And this is the excitement, especially for the younger generations, Mm. for the area of law, for the area of policy, for politics, for the environment, all of it. All our policies that we wrote back then were all good and well, but they don't serve us today or make us sustainable moving forward. Mm -hmm. They have to change. And this is where there's the excitement that we get to do that. We can see it and we get to do that. So Hannibal, Missouri, lead levels higher than Flint. We went out there and educated them on why that was happening because they were adding ammonia to the chlorine and they were creating a caustic water. And so 18 million miles of our distribution systems are lead pipes. So people realize when you turn your tap on, it doesn't just come from the municipality. You turn your tap on and boom, there it is. It's going through miles yeah. of distribution from point A to get to point B. Well, those distribution systems are unregulated. Oh Nobody knows what's going on in there. So when you add ammonia to chlorination, you render chlorination less effective. You create a caustic water system and one where bacteria can grow. And they, they love that. It will just feed on itself in there. And it's corrosive. So the iron leaches out iron, lead, magnesium, precipitates all of that out into the distribution system straight to your tap. So they were drinking these horribly high levels of lead. Now, up until recently... And we shouldn't be drinking ammonia or chlorine in the first place. We need to chlorinate water. So here I'll give you a very quick lesson, Water 101. Okay. All of our water... I'm sweating. I'm in full sweat. But th- this is the fun of once we understand it, then we take action. Yes. And it, people think it's water. See, you're saying you're sweating. It, you can understand it. And I know you and you will. You're gonna, I'm going to 
come back in here and go, I can't believe, yay, you did that. <laughs> um, we get up most of our water from surface water mm-hmm. and rivers, creeks, tributaries, you know, and depending on times of year, we also get water from our aquifer systems. Yeah. So with most of it being surface water, when that water comes into the municipality, it's called organic matter. Okay. Organic matter is what? Dirt. Hmm. Fish vomit. Deer poop. Not sure, but organic matter. Sure. So we don't have E. coli outbreaks. We treat that with chlorination. Okay. We have to. It's a double-edged sword. Right. But what we don't understand is when organic matter and chlorination meet, they create a very toxic compound called trihalomethanes, which are highly regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act. Okay. So once their trihalomethanes go off, they have to begin the process of balancing it, putting on the right filtration systems, and keeping that THM in order. And oftentimes they can't, and then that means they need to put on the appropriate filtration system to control this. They don't have the money. So we came up with this great idea to add ammonia to the system as a way to balance the THMs, which just creates another problem, right? This is all so wild to me. Because if we just sat and said what we should do is update the water system, we should Absolutely. nationwide invest a couple a billion priority. dollars in doing this, create infrastructure and jobs. Billion, it'll, it, it, that, that number could hit a trillion easy. By the but way, we if we have $3 trillion dollars for the military, we should have a trillion dollars for water. Well, our infrastructures are failing. Yes. And if our infrastructures fail and we can't have clean water, mm-hmm. and PG&E's solution to when the wind blows is shut the power down. We're third world. I know no one wants to hear that. But here's the thing, MOI, I'm going to keep talking. We're better than that. Yes. We can address these issues we if, are if innovators. we just address them. America is an innovative country. Absolutely. We should be doing better. Absolutely. And, and it makes me crazy looking at the way that we do and don't spend money here. Because again, I, I don't say we're spending $3 trillion on the military to harp on servicemen and women. I I am a proponent of anyone who serves their country. Mm-hmm. I support yep. those people. What upsets me is they're not getting they're not getting any of that investment. We're building bombers we don't need. We already have enough. Mm-hmm. We're we're wasting money on toys because the current president of the United States, and forgive me if you don't agree, but my personal opinion is a child who wants to have a tank parade every weekend. You know, I th- called this- him clueless in an article the other day, I think. Wonderful. Made- <laughs> well, here <laughs> so, we are. But- Welcome to the, tr- to, to the tree of trust. But it's like, yeah. We can't be wasteful when mm-hmm. when lives are on the line mm-hmm. and lives are on the line here. And and I'm so grateful for the the deep science knowledge that you have and that it's practically applied. Because to your point, when it's just a sci- when it's science and estimation, mm-hmm. like it was I was I was down in Louisiana, I was on the Gulf Shores three weeks after the BP spill. We probably walked right past each other. I was right down there on Orange Beach. I'm sure. I was getting in a fight with the sheriffs. They were telling me I wasn't allowed to be there. I wasn't allowed to have a camera crew. Where was I? I I would have jumped in on that. Where was I? I had two environmental attorneys with me who were like citing legal code, saying that essentially they were enacting martial law and punishing us when, you know, they were protecting the polluters. It It was a weekend of fighting and I loved every minute of it. But I spent a lot of time with the fishermen down there. and Oh, they're amazing. We should have listened to them. The most incredible people. Absolutely. And they knew. But they know. They knew. They know. They're connected. The people who are connected know. To 
their land, to their water. And 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 when when science says no, it's not going to be as bad, and they're saying trust me, trust us, mm-hmm. it's going to be worse. They know, right? And it's crazy to me that we didn't listen to them then. And it's crazy to me that as we have seen the protests at Standing Rock. Our indigenous mm. communities, indigenous peoples make up 5% of the global population mm-hmm. and they, they protect 85% of our biodiversity. The fact that we, as Americans, who live these big, beautiful lives on land we took from the stewards of that land, mm-hmm. won't listen to them. I'm, I'm apoplectic about it. And, and when they say, Niwichoni, which I'm probably mispronouncing, water is life. How do we not it understand is. that that is true? How, <laughs> how do we allow the United States military to shoot water cannons? The irony of wasting water in a fight over water right. is not lost on me. To shoot water cannons at these protesters trying to protect water for all of us mm-hmm. in, in freezing temperatures, making people suffer hypothermia yeah. in the dead of winter. Uh, what, do we do, what do we do about that? How do we show up and listen to the fishermen and to our indigenous communities better? How do we advocate better? Because I'm, I'm sure like me, you were watching those protests going down on TV and watching those people being assaulted. Oh, I was and in direct contact with, you know, Cody Two Bears and them right up there in that fight. It, it's arrogance. Um, it's egos mm. and man's biggest stumbling block. And that's why I say, you know, if you just get out of your own way Mm. and they know, and we're getting closer than we've ever been before. Again, we'll talk about technology opening us up, Mm -hmm. more and more groups coming together. We have more comfortability. We still haven't had, in my opinion, and we do with climate issues, but not on water, that revolution that it's going to take. Mm-hmm. What are we possibly thinking? I'm talking to somebody the other day about, well, how does water associate with climate change? And I'm like, mm. well, okay, first of all, it's environmental. Mm-hmm. Air and water, it's our environment. We can't live without either. Yes. And in climate changes, we have more ice melts and more water rising. It's water rising, more hurricanes, more rain, mm-hmm. more floods. It's water. It's the whole environment is off balance Mm -hmm. and it will take all of us to wake up. And I think we're there. Has that huge revolution happened on the waterfront like we're seeing happening with climate? It's coming. We're there. Mm. Just being here today and having this conversation Mm. and more and more people having access to understanding what's going on and literally more and more people, uh, here's my black water, here's my brown water. See, it's hitting home for them, so it's becoming very, very real. Right. And the communities are there. We we try to share that and inspiration back to Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we educated the women as to why this was happening. They And it's, well, you know what? I'm going to say 10 times out of 10, it's usually mom. I was going to say She's it's mad about something. Moms. She's mad. Moms know. Mm-hmm. Don't bullshit me. Mm-hmm. And it was the mothers, and they were bad. So they went door to door, and they were educating the town. They wanted to do more. So they said, what can we do? Back to our original story here about getting involved in local politics. Mm-hmm. So many of our policies are passed right at that level. Mm-hmm. So we said, why don't you run for office? You have a you know, city council elections coming up. Oh, no. 
we couldn't possibly do that. You know, I said, well, look everything you've learned. Well, they ran and they won. Hmm. So now they're on that board and they know what's going on with the water. So they did a referendum and they put it out to vote. Do you want ammonia in your water? Yes or no? Well, now everybody knew what ammonia was doing. They all said no. So Mm. it became law. Amazing. So they can't use ammonia anymore. Mm -hmm. Guess who's getting lead-free water? And that's the power of of us. And we've got to stop second-guessing ourselves. And we've got to stop assuming someone else is coming to save us. They're not. Hence the book. Superman's yes. not coming, but guess what? God, it's Tag, such a good you're title. It. <laughs> you're it. I love We're it. here. Yes. And so Tag, you're it. Yes. W- w- I think we're well on our way. I mm. am more excited than I've ever been. I'm more excited than I was in Hinkley or five years, ten years ago. I was thinking, well, I'm just not I'm not making any headway. Um, but we are. And we need to keep talking about it. And we need to keep showing these stories where we are making that headway. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more information is coming to light. Yes. And as more information comes to light, because when you wrote that piece I mentioned about Flint in yes. 2016, you created a map with more than 10,000 communities across the U.S. suffering mm-hmm. from contaminated drinking water. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, four years later, what is the, what's that number now? And are those cities connecting to each other to advocate for each other? Not yet. I need to do that on my map and on mm. this app, and that takes money. And it, it's it been really hard to fundraise that money because we're probably going to find out stuff that somebody else doesn't want us to know. Yep. And we don't monitor migratory pathways, and so people can grow up on a site. And remember, chemicals have long latency periods. So hexavalent yes. chromium, it, the latency period can be 20 years. Wow. And so somebody could drink it for 15, graduate, move away, get a disease associated with that exposure, but it's not reported back to where they were from. It gets reported to where they reside. So I think there's missing data sets around. So we're working on getting all of that. The map is still there. We're working on building it out even further. Mm. But we don't have a national registry database. So before President Obama left office, they were redoing the um, Toxic Substance Control Act. Mm -hmm. And within that, he created Trevor's Law. So when I was presenting, a young boy by the name of Trevor Schaefer was presenting, he and numerous of his classmates had brain tumors. He's the Mm -hmm. only one that survived. And he vowed to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So Trevor's Law requires our government to create a national registry database. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? We don't have one. Mm -hmm. People don't seem to know that. So we'll create a registry base in California, but we can't share it with Florida. Wow. We can't share it with Maine. We have no national repository where we can see the big picture. So, so we can't really analyze the system. Well, you, well, yeah, and you can't, you really don't know what's going on if you can't really see what's going on yeah. and start looking at or making correlations. Wait a minute. You may think we only have... 15,000 glioblastomas in this country. But when you look at the map and all the states reporting and what is that collective number, it could be 500,000. It's a numbers game. And they found a way for us to miss numbers. And I believe a self-reporting registry database, which is what we've created, is how we're going to start finding out that information. Yeah, and getting the lid off this. And those missed data points. And now the purpose of that is... We can't eradicate a chemical, 
or change a policy or look for a new cure or a cure for a disease if we don't know where it is, see where it is, and what could be the cause. Right. And so that's what we're trying to do with the map. That's I'm so cool. I'm I'm so overwhelmed. And I cannot do this alone. Mm -hmm. None of us can do this alone. But if each one of us as an individual contributes and stands up and we start that movement in just our backyard, imagine if every city and every state across America did that. Have you created some kind of a toolkit for people, for for moms, for local constituents who want to get involved in something like this to like like a little play-by-play of how to begin? We do a little bit of that in the book. Um, I have started a foundation where we want to be able to come in and like have that training session and give them the tools they need and give them that startup so they can do it in their own backyard. Mm -hmm. Because none of us can be everywhere at once. I certainly can't be. I don't know anyone that could. But if we could ignite that group person by person, community by community, Mm -hmm. we will affect that change. So we're in the process of doing that. What's the foundation called? Is Brockovich, Aaron Brockovich Foundation. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, I tried to think of some, you know, I don't know, cool foundation name. But I yeah, don't but think it's I better that there. it's yours because you're, you're recognizable to people. It's an easy Google search. It's an easy way to find a way in. The name certainly is. Absolutely. I yes. love that. So you, you all of those are things that we're definitely doing. And yes, there is a how-to. And we've, we've been touching upon this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Get the voices out of your head that you can't. Yes. And start hearing the voice in your head and your heart that you can. Yeah. stick to Yeah. Yeah. All right, I was interrupting you. Go ahead. No, please. <laughs> you, um, you mentioned that it's hard for us to track the reality of cancer clusters mm-hmm. because of the lack of communication across state lines. Well, and lack, what, what we, we have we HIPAA regulations, so we can't always share data right. to see the, the whole picture. Right. What, what do we need to know about them? What do, what do listeners need to know to find out if they live in one? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, you could just go to EPA okay. and Google super fun sites in your area. I don't think people realize, you know, we still have 30,000 some super fun sites we can't get to right now. Thanks. And we have a lot of regulations and good ones on the books. Our problem is no one's enforcing them. And certainly not this administration. And no one's coming back in and cleaning them up. I mean, would imagine that eradicating a chemical out of the marketplace has caused cancers. Mm-hmm. The lives you would save, the cleaner future you would have, the mm-hmm. cleaner environment you would have. They're certainly doing it in Europe. We're way behind on things. Chrome six has already been banned over there. Wow. We still use it over here. And We've got to start approaching it more like FDA. We've got huge chemical lobbyists, and they're big lobbyists. These lobbyists are hard to go up against and hard to go up against that kind of money that these yeah. companies have. But the EPA, when and we have enough problems with medical devices going bad, but before medical devices can get into the marketplace, that company has to show a five- to ten-year study of the FDA, what it will or won't do in the human body. Well, how about we do that in the United States EPA? You give me the study long term Mm -hmm. of what that will do in the environment and to human health and welfare before you get to put it on the market. God, it just seems so obvious. It does. And it's going to take policy change and lobbyists changed Mm -hmm. and law changes. And, you know, I'll never forget when Ed and I first started Hinckley. 
And we were sitting in his law library with all those glorious law books sitting around. And he said to me, we can't do the case, Aaron. I'm like, what? Ah, the scene that gets me the most when Julia Roberts is so angry. And she's, that's my work. That's my my time away from my kids. If that's not important, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. What are you saying to me? We can't do this. Well, we got statute of limitation. Everyone's telling Ed, you don't have the money. We have a statute of limitation problem. Not going to happen. So Ed was a little bit thrown in the towel. I said, you shock me. As I sit here in your law library, you tell me how every single law and every single one of these books came to be mm-hmm. because somebody had the courage, had the gumption to step out on a limb and fight for a law, change a law, create a law, amend a law. Yes. And you're going to tell me we can't do what? So I always loved it when I got Ed riled up because his ears <laughs> would literally pitch back. And I saw his ears set back and I'm like, ooh, he I heard me. <laughs> he goes, you're right. But, you know, he got back in there and yeah. he pled within one year last pass, which was the truth and a fact wow. that these people were just now learning of mm-hmm. this. And Judge Leroy Simmons, you saw that scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. He let that case go through. But that's precisely what has to happen again today. What is this Mm -hmm. oath that we take as doctors or our duty or our obligation to oneself, to our environment, to our health? The same way with the lawyers, and they have a deep sense of justice. Mm. The time is here where our policies and laws are antiquated. They may have worked for us then. They will not work for us today. There is an entire new opening here for the upcoming generations in policies, in politics, in the law to change that. If we don't, moving forward, we will not be sustainable. Yes. We're at that fork in a road. And I think that everything is coming together, these types of conversations with technology, with the disruption that's waking people up. We're going to make that shift, but it's not going to come without a fight. But mm-hmm. I think we're getting geared up for that. God, I hope so, because it's, it's been time for this. Well, yeah. and I think as we see the big picture, see, I'm visual, and mm. we all get involved in our own lives. Yeah. So you can't really see that, oh, hell, what's happening to me is happening to you and yeah. you and you and you, and you. We're all more visual than we realize. Yeah. And that's what I love about the map. It was an opening for me. I'm like, what the hell's going on out there? Yeah, it really lets you see it. It really does. And, you know, again, uh, you brought up the military. I'm a military mom. I have, um, they're both out. They're both medically retired. Matt's deployment was heinous. Uh, What happened to my daughter, you know, will be her story to tell. But, um, they they did that as their service to fight for all of us for what they believed in, mm-hmm. and that was their homeland, their mm-hmm. their water. And I get really upset. I and mean, again, we talk about it in the book, um, Camp Lejeune, in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and even ATSDR, the Agencies for Toxic Substance Disease Registry, has estimated that up to twenty thousand of our servicemen and women who made it home from war, we poisoned on their own soil. Their well waters were heavily, heavily, heavily contaminated with trichloroethylene. The number of cancers, the number of deaths is already so outrageous. What are we thinking? Hmm. That they come home and they're poisoned on their own land. And 
I take that, I just, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know where we've lost our way, but if we don't keep talking about it and fight to find our way back, Mm -hmm. I, I do worry, but see, I have so much hope because I know what we'll do. I know, I know. I, I've always banked on the people and I always will to the day I die. But we have to start seeing these things. And, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, it's fake news, it's this or that. And, you know, going all the way back to Hinckley, what on earth would make me think that these people were so bored in their life that all they had to do was make up stories about the two-headed frog and the green water and all their children with cancer? And so I don't know that we should always dismiss that. No. And so the military, um, their bases are heavily contaminated. Their housing is deteriorated. Their health and impacts uh, to their health and welfare is quite concerning. And so we have to look at that as well and uh, embrace our military because they too are drinking poison water and living on it and breathing it. And so we're all up for grabs here. There is no boundary there's no line. And, and the fact that the current administration tries to make environmental protection seem like a party line is astonishing to That's me. That's got to stop. It's got to stop. Protecting the environment and having strict regulation for our water and our land and our agriculture mm-hmm. should just be what we do so everyone survives, regardless of who they mm-hmm. voted for. No, I'm I'm with you 100% on that. I'm so sick of the political argument. I, I could honestly pull my hair out. Yeah, the environment's it, not political. It's not. It can't be. And it's the politics that's ruining it and stopping us from fixing our issues and becoming sustainable and moving forward into the new world that we are. Yeah. What what are your thoughts on the current administration? Because Trump has rolled back so many Mm -hmm. incredible strides that Obama made for increasing Mm -hmm. the regulation that the EPA could enforce in the country. And he's, he's made a decision to not regulate to heavily toxic chemicals that are commonly found in the water supply and not regulate them at all. What what are the implications of all these rollbacks and all this deregulation? Extreme danger. Literally, these rollbacks have, you know, allowed at our headwaters now farming and, and all of that manure and stuff to hit those headwaters. And this is where I say shit's going to roll downhill. The outcome of that will be toxic algae blooms like we dealt with in Florida. Uh, And we'll see them in Lake Erie. We'll see them in rivers and creeks and tributaries and back down in Florida. You will suffocate the environment. They're neurotoxins. It damages the climate. It will destroy the ecosystem. You cannot drink the water. Listen, we need to get really serious about here on these types of rollbacks mm -hmm. because what we're going to see is more Legionella outbreaks, which we're already seeing. We are definitely already seeing brain-eating amoebas. Now, okay, get scared. Maybe we should. They're real. Kids have already died down in Louisiana. Because we're no longer treating our water appropriately, it's mayhem. Wow. And so I am concerned, and I want to find a way to express that without the right, the left, let's go down the middle. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer to be seen as purple. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating about that is what happens when you mix red and blue? Don't mm-hmm. you get purple? Mm-hmm. We need this political division when it comes to our environment and water and air and our health to stop. Yeah. I don't care what party you're in, and I don't care how much money you have. You are not exempt from yeah. being poisoned by the water or the air. 
It's ha- this is where I want the the gaslight to stop. Yeah. And I ask every single person, you see a change. Mm-hmm. You see it in the water. You see the effects. Don't let anyone else tell you that's not happening. It is. And I need them to get involved, whether we do petitions. Yeah. Um, and, and again, these may be federal changes, but at a state level, you can do your own. And at a local level, so many of these industries here have to go to city council to get these permits. Well, let's get involved. Let's get over there. Let's start saying this isn't what we want. So you're saying even even if the Trump administration has rolled these protections back at a federal level, we can each in our own states fight back and get them reinstated on a state level. At a state level and at a local level. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. California is the first state. No other state's doing it. They didn't, they're not going to wait for the United States federal government to initiate a MCL, maximum contaminant limit for hexavalent chromium. You know why? Because they don't want to, because it's everywhere. I can't tell you how widely used this chemical is in industry. So So the state of California does a, we've been doing it for 10 years. We finally got the public health goal, five top experts in this country on hexavalent chromium, that the public health goal should be 0.02 parts per billion. 0.02. Parts per billion, you said. With Very. There should be none. Wow. But if we're going to go low, let's go that low. Wow. So in law, we have to make this a law. We got it set at 10 parts per billion, which is way too far from the public health goal. But it was set that high for feasibility studies for the municipalities because They have to do all the appropriate filtration in their system to bring 10 parts, to bring it down to 10 parts per billion, which still exceeds by magnitudes Mm -hmm. the public health goal. So it's an achievement, but we still have to keep fighting. And and the judge just threw it back down. And so I think this might blow up in their face because we're going to have to do this again. But my point being is California, you know what? California is good about that. You know the adage. You know, so goes California, so goes the nation. I sure and hope so. And they are taking it upon themselves mm-hmm. to set these types of... Every state could do that. Sure. So I don't... It doesn't have to be gloom or doom. How we get out of half of our shit is our perception of it and our reaction and response to it. And there are other levels that we can go to. Yeah. And not everything has to trickle down from the top. Let's start here in our own backyard and Grassroots move it up. And- Yep. Yeah, take it's exactly from the what it's going to take. Absolutely. And start going to your city council meetings. And I'm, I'm very, very serious about that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Me too. I mean, we all Show should up. be going. Absolutely. So I think that what we need to do as individuals is we need to be accountable too. And no longer assume that whatever's happening is meant for our protection and start asking those questions and holding those individual congressmen, women, senators, legislators, you have the power. We're voting them on office. I'm watching your ass or you're not getting in next time. Mm -hmm. But we have to take that accountability. And we won't if we don't believe that we can't do it. And here's the awakening. We're learning that we can. Mm -hmm. We have more power and tools and conversations Mm -hmm. and outlets and podcasts than we've ever had before. I love that. Take that information to educate yourself and find your courage to speak up. And as you said, if we're really sick of being repressed, we have to use that that frustration and And channel it and hold their feet to the fire. Absolutely. Mm. 
And so, that's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. It's okay to do that. More than. It's it's patriotic. Well, and it's fun. Oh, what well, you, you and me both. We're on the same page. We should go around together more often. Hey, because anytime, I, bro. I'm like, ooh, the disruptions. Here. I know. I'm like, but, oh God, uh, I love it. You know, that's just kind of what wakes us up. But yeah. but it's really really true. And I think that right now it gets daunting for many people. There's a lot of negativity going around. Yeah. And this is in my talks, Ram, which is about realize, assess, and motivate oneself. What we need is a moment of self renewal. Mm. And I encourage everyone. To honestly, I don't care what you're doing today, take a moment to do that and go walk on the beach and feel the sand in your toes Mm. or listen to the waves crashing or literally stop and smell the roses or just take a moment to shut your eyes and feel the warmth of the sun. It is that connection, that very connection that we've disconnected from. If you will get there, and stop and listen. Mm-hmm. You can hear yourself think. You can feel your heartbeat. You can feel the love inside. And then you remind yourself through that moment of self-renewal and your connection again to this environment. Mm-hmm. You'll find your why. Why do you get up every day and do this? Mm-hmm. You love your family. You love your health. You love this planet. You, you love the chirping of the birds, the smelling of the roses, everything that it offers us. If you will go back there, you will know why you wake up tomorrow and why you will fight another day. And I absolutely know that and I believe that. Mm. And every day I breathe it in and make sure you're breathing and look at what is the common ground for every single walk of life. Yeah. It is this planet. It is our air. It is our water, and it is up to us Mm -hmm. to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And in that process, you'll find yourself, and you'll be renewed again. I love that so much. So the podcast is called Work in Progress. Oh, aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah, and that's my question for you. When you hear the phrase, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as a work in progress in your life? This whole conversation and even uh, looking back and going home and looking at my calendar and that overwhelmingness that I can't do it and is reminding myself to breathe, practicing, practicing everything that we just talked about. It is a work in progress. Life is a journey. And, you know, I think of it a game, a football game. You know, you may rush 50 yards and get pushed back 30. Mm. So, you know re-strategize, shake it off, Mm. but get back up and back in that game because you may rush 75 yards. But you have to always expect in life there can be setbacks. But how you respond to that, can you imagine one team rushes 70 yards and the next team pushes them back 60? So what are you going to do? Throw the ball down? Walk off the field? Mm. Game over? Can you imagine how upset the fans would be? (laughs) Well, think of it that way. You don't just get to throw the ball down. Because you had a setback. Yeah. Get up, learn from that setback, and go at it again. And when you're tired or when you're questioning why the hell you're doing all this, stop. Oh, frick. Put your phone down. Oh, my God. You know what? Work in progress at night. I have to sit there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
I'm shutting it off. And <laughs> oh my gosh, the anxiety it created. Disconnect from that. Yeah. And, and hear yourself think. And so take those challenges. Life is work in progress. Life is an evolution. Uh, If there's anybody out there that knows everything, you're going to scare the hell out of me and I'm going to run the other way. Because there isn't. We have to be open every single day of our life that we're not perfect. And so my work in progress is clearly practicing, I don't want to say what I preach, but what I share. And I don't always do that. Um, You know, I could get inside my head. I've, I've worried greatly as a single mom and about my dad's, my kids that really didn't have a present dad and feeling really very guilty and beating myself up for it. And I try to practice every day um, forgiving myself for my, mm-hmm. my own shortcomings and um, to love myself. Yeah. And, and when I do, I have a better communication with my children. And, and then I learned, mom, we never felt that way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, taking down walls that exist even in our own families um, and not being afraid to say, did I make a mistake or am I wrong or I'm sorry or I don't know. There's so much self-loathing to just love who you are. Life is such a blessing and it can be fleeting and it can be so short-lived. I sit here and I'm going to be 60 in June and I began my work when I was 30. Where did the time go? Um, and I think we'll all have that moment where we wake up one day and our time is here to pass. Um, don't regret that and embrace every moment and mm-hmm. try to stay present. Forgive yourself for your past. Uh, we may not be promised tomorrow, but you sure as hell have today. So love, live, breathe, forgive. And just accept, you know what? I may fuck up again tomorrow, but <laughs> that's okay. But and I'm in the fight keep for the going. long haul. Absolutely. I love it's that. It's worth it. Thank you, so Aaron. Thank every day I have so to keep much. myself Ooh, in check. I hear it. So, but it's it's been just a thrill being here. This has been so much How long fun. have we been chatting? Thank you. <laughs> Close to two hours. Close to This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. 